This is The Premise, and I'm your host, Jennifer. Chad Thompson. De- no, Chad I, Thompson's the no, host. I'm the host. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Thompson. And I'm Chad Thompson, the host. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Premise. Today, Chad and I have the pleasure of speaking with Sally Collins. Sally, welcome to The Premise. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to join you. Yeah, this is really exciting. You know, book proposals, I think, you know, like the query letter, but a way bigger animal than the query letter is like the bane of every author's existence, right? (laughs) So... When you told me you love doing book proposals, I was like, oh, we've got to have this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's what everyone says. It's like, Mm -hmm. how can you, you must be crazy. How can you enjoy those things? Well, I'm excited to dig into it. But before that, let me give our listeners a proper introduction. So Sally Collins is a ghostwriter. And as we've said, she is a specialist in helping authors write book proposals. With 20 plus years experience in book publishing, Sally Collins knows what makes a great book, and she knows how to write them. So former nonfiction publisher for HarperCollins and editorial director for Amber Books, Sally now works as a ghostwriter and developmental editor. And of course, she specializes in nonfiction book proposals. Her author clients are represented at a number of agencies, including Park and Fine Literary and Media. Talcott Notch Literary, The Palgon Company, and Marcel Lyon Literary Agency. Some have been published with Harper Business, St. Martin's Press, Simon & Schuster, and Chronicle Books, while others have successfully self-published their books or worked with leading hybrid publishers. And you were born in Australia... You now live in Northern, yeah, Northern California, hence the accent. And you live in Northern California. And it says here that you get your kicks running through the Santa Cruz Mountains. So you're a runner too. Yeah, I am. I love running on the trails and getting a bit of nature. Awesome. So I can just imagine like after sitting down and working on a long, you know, a book proposal all day, getting out and running is sort of like resetting, I would guess. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I get my best perspectives and fresh ideas just from running. So it, mm. it's, I, I actually should bill the time because it's, it's, <laughs> it's all work. Right. Yeah. I get all my best ideas in the shower. You get yours running. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, you know, this passion that you have for, for writing book proposals. How did this start? Where did it begin? So I've been working on book proposals for a long time. You know, I worked in the UK for a company you mentioned called Amber Books. And our business model was that we produced books for larger publishers. And so we would come up with a concept. uh, We would write a book proposal. We would pitch it to Barnes & Noble or, you know, one of those larger publishers or book distributors. And they would take it or not. And so I very early learned how to write a really compelling uh, proposal and to think from a, the publisher's point of view, you know, what mm. what's appealing about this? How, mm-hmm. how, does it, how will they sell this? How many of these will they sell? Uh, so there was that. And then, you know, when I worked for HarperCollins, I was on the receiving end where I was <laughs> confronted daily with piles and piles of proposals. And the slush pile, as you the say, slush right? slush pile, yeah. <laughs> I would just sit there on my desk oozing as slush tends to. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, occasionally I come across a little gem. I think this is almost right, but it needs X, Y, Z. And, you know, mm. if something's almost right, it just doesn't make the cut. Mm. But I would always be thinking, oh, I could have done something with that, but that wasn't how the, the business works. Right. So, right. you know, years roll on and, and I just reached a point these last few years where I just thought, you know, I write manuscripts, I write books, but it's the proposals that I enjoy the most because they're mm. kind of like a, a distillation. You know, if you if you think about them as perfume, they're that, you know, eau de parfum, the eau de book, <laughs> the, the essence of the book because you <laughs> right. have to capture the concept, the voice, the market, the audience, why the author is special. You've got to distill all of that. And I just get a kick out of doing that. Wow. Well, it's definitely a challenge. So I think I have a little peek into how your brain works. How long is a book proposal typically? Is there a, a recommended length? Yeah, so every agent wants something a little different, which is one of the mm. challenges about mm. writing a book proposal. Uh, I tend to go for more rather than less. So I tend to write proposals that are about 60 pages long, which equates... 60 to 80 pages, which equates to about 20,000 words. Hmm. And so that, you know, contains several elements. There's the sample chapters. There's a very detailed chapter outline. There's the author bio. There's the marketing. So lots of different components. But, yeah, they run to about 60, 80 pages. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's an endeavor. You know, it's interesting. What's harder, writing 60 well-written, captivating pages, or one-page query letter? <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, either way, it's, it's, again, that concept of distillation. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, sometimes you've just got to circle around until you get the approach right. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. it takes as many months to write that one-page query letter as it does to write the book proposal. Right. Because it yeah. takes that long to really, really nail what it is about this book that people are going to want. Now, let me ask you a question. When you were working for HarperCollins, did you read query letters and book proposals or were you strictly in the book, book proposal area? Yeah, look, I, I read a bit of both because although I covered nonfiction, I was looking at everything from memoir through to mm. how-to, personal development. And so typically, you know, a memoir would come through that was basically a query letter. There wouldn't be a more fleshed out book proposal. But then I'd be looking at, you know, something like a yoga book, which would have a much more detailed uh, book proposal attached to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had quite a few agents whom I've spoken with about the, the query letter and book proposals. And not everyone agrees on whether or not a memoir should have a proposal. What, what is your opinion? Do... Mm -hmm. do do you recommend that authors write a book proposal for the memoir? So in terms of memoirs and query letters, I think that if something is very personality-driven or celebrity-driven, where there's clearly a platform, as in there is a way that the author connects with their audience, then I think it needs a book proposal to spell that out. Hmm. If it's more of a literary memoir, a voice-driven memoir, which you believe people are simply going to buy because it's a cracking story, then I don't think it needs 
fully fleshed out proposal. You know, I think yeah. it's always handy to, to at least list out what are the competing or comparative titles, but you can do that in a query letter. So I mm. think, you know, voice-driven memoir, query letter only is what you need. Mm-hmm. If it's something, I mean, I just worked with a guy who is an actor uh, with autism. Um, mm-hmm. And so he is an advocate in the area. He has quite a, a public profile. And so he had written a memoir, but it was very what I would describe as platform driven. And so mm-hmm. we worked together on a full proposal that included all of the, all of the pieces. So it, it depends. I would think that a prescriptive type memoir to one that maybe has a lesson, you know, like Mm. how these 10 things that I've learned along the way that includes personal stories, maybe something like that would be a good candidate for a book proposal as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, even if you don't end up submitting a full proposal, Mm. I think the process of writing one is incredibly helpful because it often is that piece of the platform, the marketing, who's the audience, how are you going to reach them, that people lose sight of or or just if they're caught up in writing a voice-driven manuscript or memoir, Mm. they don't think about those other pieces and yet you have to because publishers are going to be thinking about them. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's a really good point. And for an author who maybe ends up going with a hybrid press or even independently publishes, you have to answer all those questions. Well, correct. And, you know, some of the authors I work with set out intending to submit a proposal to perhaps the largest publishers, the big five, as they call them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But sometimes they end up not doing that and they decide to self-publish or go with a hybrid publisher for very good reasons. But I always say it's still a process that is incredibly valuable to write what I describe as a book blueprint, which is kind of like a proposal, but you're not trying to sell the idea, you're trying to develop the idea. Hmm. Because if you're self-publishing, again, you need to know how you're going to reach your readership, who your yeah. readership is, yeah. you know, what's your core concept. And if you never put that down on paper, I think, oh, I think you're doing yourself a damage, a, a, mis- a disservice. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I do think they can be fun when you sit down and really dig through those comparable titles and what makes you special. And you know, that that core thing about your book, that's going to drive it home to that audience. I mean, finding those things out is so good for so many reasons. It helps people create that, that log line too. you know, their elevator Mm -hmm. pitch as well. Um, So many things that go into being a writer. We're not just writers, really. There's so many hats you have to wear. It can be overwhelming. Well, it can be. And I think, you know, one of the the businesses or the services, the benefits of writing a book proposal is just to streamline that and hone Mm. it and just, Mm -hmm. you know, step outside of your author identity Mm -hmm. and try to look at it from a publisher's point of view and just think about those commercial aspects. Think about it. You know, I tend to think of my work as being very reader-driven, always thinking, what's this going to do for the reader? What's the premise, the promise, the Mm -hmm. message, the Mm -hmm. thing that this book is going to do for the readers? And so, you know, in in a way, writing a book proposal is a very structured, perhaps a formal way of thinking about all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you come from a background where that was your job. Will readers be interested in this story? 
Right. Yeah. So for me, it kind of comes naturally to think like that. But, you know, I find it so interesting working with authors, whether their book is about leadership or personal development or it's a memoir, tech, whatever it might be. It doesn't necessarily come naturally to most people to to think from that point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think anyone who is coming to writing a book who has perhaps run workshops or delivered speeches on their topic, you know, they probably have more of a sense of, of their reader because they will have seen people's faces when they they present their ideas and their concepts. They'll have seen people, you know, scrunch up their face when they don't <laughs> understand something. They will have seen someone, you know, laugh with delight when they really connect with something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those are the things that help you get in touch with with what your reader is going to enjoy most. Yeah, absolutely. You know, on your website, which really walks you through the process of working with someone like yourself to create a book proposal, and you talk about the six elements, do you mind bringing us through that process and kind of breaking down those six elements for our listeners? Yes, I absolutely would be delighted to do that. So um, it's taken me a long time to figure out these steps because most you know book proposals vary a lot no no two are the same but in my mind these are the stages you have to go through stage one is developing your book concept it's that thinking about what your message is your argument your proposition again it's that thinking about what your book will do for its readers Mm. um and this is again more the prescriptive nonfiction, but i think it applies to memoir as well of just thinking you know what's the core message what's the one thing i want people to come away with Mm. and you know that that first stage can take months or even years to get right it's you know it's very fundamental yeah well and not to interrupt you, but I mean, I find that like a lot of people when they're writing their book, they don't even realize the themes that they're writing and including until they get to the end. And then all of a sudden, mm. those themes make themselves apparent. But, you know, in the case of nonfiction, those themes need to be figured out beforehand, because you write the book proposal often before you write the book, right? Well, yeah, that's right. You know, I often say that the last thing that publishers want is is a manuscript. Mostly they want (laughs) just the proposal with the sample chapters. uh, And then they may have some comments about, you know, would rather you go in this other direction. So, yes, book proposal comes before manuscript. And, you know, even though I say that there are these stages, it's very iterative. So as you were saying, Jennifer, you might think that you've developed your book concept and then you go and write your sample chapters and you think, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm heading in this other direction. These mm. other things are proving to be bigger themes than, than I thought they were going to be. So it's, you circle back. It's not, a, it's not a linear process by any means. Um, but, you know, developing that concept is, is kind of where you have to start. Right, right. And then I, I think there's a second stage where you test your concept. Mm. And this is something that a lot of people don't do. Um, And when I say test it, it might be by writing articles, by blogging, by, hey, podcasting. Yeah, Uh, right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, It might be by running a course or a workshop. But it's just some way of getting your your ideas, your themes, your concepts Mm. in front of people in a small way so that you can see, you know, do people even want to hear this? Mm. It's all very well that I want to say it, but do people want to hear it? It really matters. (laughs) Right. Okay. So we have concept and testing. Concept, testing, and then three, 
And this can happen any time. Three is knowing your competition. Mm, um, absolutely. Yeah. And this is so important because this is the only way you can be confident that you've got something that's unique that really adds to the conversation. So I, I was working with a, an author earlier this year and he was remarkable because he had basically set aside a year to read every book in his in his field. And he worked in a fairly technical field. So he just read every book paid attention to every author, every thought leader, every magazine that was in that space, just to really understand, you know, what's already on the table? What are yeah. the gaps? You know, yeah. if, if everyone's saying X, is it going to be helpful for me to say Y? Or are people going to think I'm crazy? You know, <laughs> where's, where's the space here? Um, and what's particular about what I'm saying that will appeal in a different way? So, yeah, knowing your competition. Nice. Absolutely. Um, and then I think stage four is building your platform. And again, this, this is something that isn't necessarily after the first three steps. It may be something you've already done, but it's something to attend to, which is, and people speak of platform in different ways. I mean, you probably have your own definition, Jennifer, but I, I think of it as, as kind of a, a gathering people, of accumulating an audience. Mm -hmm. And it might be through social media. It might be through your website. It could be through running training programs. It could be through being a columnist for a newspaper, uh, but building your platform. And so I kind of break it into real-life activities like speaking online, like blogging, uh, and media. And that mm. could be TV, radio, guest appearances, whatever it might be. Yeah. Do you help people build a platform as well or come up with ideas of how to make that happen for themselves? Look, I, I do a fairly fundamental version of that. So if someone comes to me with a great idea who has not done a lot in the way of platform, I'll give them a, some initial ideas. But, you know, frankly, it's it's one of the areas I cover. I'm not dedicated to it. So really, if I was talking to someone who needed some serious uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one work, I'd probably tell them to talk to someone like you uh, to get an expert advice on that. Hmm. I would think that by the time someone comes to you to help with a book proposal, they better have a platform. They better know what it is and have a real keen understanding of, of how it's going to draw in that audience. Yeah, look, I think that's true. And, you know, much as I love working with new people, there are some times where I have to have the conversation of just saying, look, I don't think you're ready to do a mm. book proposal because mm -hmm. you don't have the platform. You yeah. know, sometimes I, I have to say, look, come back in six months or a year when you've done X, Y and Z, because that will be the time when we can, you know, know what interests people and whether people are actually responding to this. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you 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 want to come out with the big gun of a, a book when you haven't really uh, done that that groundwork. It's got mm -hmm. to come first. Yeah. And have they? Have you had people come back to you a year later and say, okay, now I'm ready, I listened? Not very often. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say that that punchline was totally expected, but <laughs> but still hilarious. Well, oh, and like I think it has, you know, it does say a lot about you know the person who's looking to write a book proposal. If they're serious, they've already done their research, you know. Um, so I think it speaks yeah. a lot to the person who you know is kind of your ideal client, really. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like one of those Zen master stories where someone comes to the guru and and you know mm. they ask them some <laughs> crucial question and the Zen master you know ably sidesteps it and the person goes away dispirited because they didn't get the kind of answer they were looking for. So I think when someone comes to me, they want a book proposal. They think, yeah. of course, they think they're ready to do that, and so it, mm. it's discouraging sometimes mm-hmm. to hear that you're not. Um, but you know. It's it's just for me. There's no pleasure in working on a book proposal with someone who just isn't ready, because you just know that that that's what the publishers will be thinking when they see yeah, it. Yeah, you want it. You, know, you want it to be successful and find its its legs, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, you know, I, I do pick and choose when I am approached with a project because I, yeah, I want to I want to work on winners and yeah, right. a book you know a book proposal that is you know half baked, undercooked not quite ready, whatever you like to say, mm-hmm. that's not going to win. So, yeah. Well, that's actually one of my questions, and then we can get to those last two elements because I know our listeners are waiting for those. But, you know, is there a criteria for a certain type of book that you look for that you enjoy working on? Yeah, so I guess this is very specific to me. And so the things that appeal to me are it's probably easier to sum up what I don't, what I won't work on. Um, <laughs> so I tend not to work on those kind of literary memoir, voice-driven memoirs, because uh, frankly, I don't think they benefit from having the all singing, all dancing proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to move away from anything that has a lot of uh, legal ramifications, so mm. crime stories or stories based on court cases because that's just not not my thing. Mm-hmm. Let me see what else. Um, if I work with celebrities, I like to at least be, if not a fan, then open to what they're doing. Uh, I, mm. <laughs> I don't know if I should even say this one. I, I was approached a couple of years back to work with someone who had who was a, a figure on the Dance Mums series. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, I dislike that show quite intensely. <laughs> <laughs> And so awesome. I just I had to say to the person who reached out to me, look, I'm, I'm not sorry, your gal. <laughs> I, I think you I think you can find someone who's a better fit than me. Mm. So, you know, I need to feel I need to feel invested and I need to feel it's a book that will do something that matters. Um, and you know, in the best of all possible worlds, I like to work on projects that are just a little different. I mean, everyone is different, right? But sure, something yeah. a little different that will teach me something. You know, one of the great pleasures I have from what I do is that I'm always thinking about new topics and new areas. And I like to have this this delicate combination of a, a sense of connection where I can say, oh, that matters to me, or I care about that, or I'm interested mm-hmm. in that. Yeah, but also something yeah. that's that's a little new, that's going to teach me something new so right. that I can kind of be a little bit of a combination of the the expert the book proposal expert, but also the the ideal reader who is keen to hear and to learn what this book is all about. You know, it's really interesting because what I'm hearing right now is just such excellent advice for any entrepreneurs out there listening right now. You know, when you start a business, you have to remember to maintain your joy. And like, you know, I think what I love so much about you, Sally, in in what you do is you're so passionate about it. But you have to be diligent and make good choices for you in order to maintain that passion and that joy. And 
it's a really good lesson for people to remember when you go into business for yourself. It's not just about saying yes to the money and to the paycheck, mm. right? It's about doing something you really believe in and that helps you learn and grow and, and enjoy your craft. Well, I think that's true. And, you know, I think probably like a lot of businesses, it's partly the project, the, mm. the, the book, the subject, but it's also the author. You know, do we have a connection? Because, you know, I don't sure. see myself yeah. as a, a writer for hire. I see it very much as a collaborative process. And mm. if I don't want to spend, you know, a week in the room with someone or if they don't <laughs> want to spend a week in the room with me, this ain't going to work. Right. You know, we've got to we've got to be excited about coming together. Uh, we've got to be mutually respectful of, you yeah. know, I respect the clients I work with because they have enormous expertise and authority and, you know, humour, whatever it is that's special. They're amazing. Um, and I know what I'm doing with book proposals. And so if we can come with that that perspective of, of mutual respect, um, you know, that's a pretty magical thing. It is. Yeah, it totally is. All right. So we've got our six elements so far. We have concept, testing, competitive analysis, platform. What's What's next? So this might seem counterintuitive, but stage five... And again, it can happen at any stage. It's it's just one of the elements, but it's choose your publishing path. Mm. So as we were saying before, you know, typically if someone wants a book proposal, they're thinking about getting published by a traditional publisher, probably one of the big five or in fact, almost always, almost always people come to me wanting, you know, one of the, 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 mm-hmm. the HarperCollins. Uh, don't we all and, want that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I want to see my name in the lights, right? So, yeah, they, they want to go for the, the, the big five. But, and I guess, you know, because of my roots, I'm kind of a bit of a big five girl, but I've increasingly come to believe that it's got to be the right match. So yeah. if you're... You know, it's not always the big five that is best for you. It may be that there's a mid-sized publisher and there are some fantastic ones out there that do great work, but maybe they specialise in a particular niche that is what you're writing about. Hmm. Um, Maybe they just, you find an editor who has a huge passion for the thing that you are writing about. So I think it's a matter of finding the perfect match that maybe it's one of the big five, but maybe it's a mid-sized publisher. Maybe it's someone smaller who just specializes in what you're talking about in your niche. Yeah. You know, it's got to be, again, it's almost like a, it's that marriage. It's that coming together of minds. Mm. Um, and it won't always be one of the, the, the biggest publishers that is right. And for that matter, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for hybrid publishers, for independent self-publishing you know Mm -hmm. if if you for example are on the speaking circuit and you speak to thousands of people each year perhaps in a corporate context it might be that you're better off publishing your own book and just selling it directly through your speaking engagements Mm -hmm. you know that that might be the right path for you and it's not always an either or it might be that this first book is best self-published Mm-hmm. And then you you prove your your value and you can look at doing something different for your second book. It sounds like we're talking about goals too. You know, like what do you mm-hmm. want this book to accomplish for you? And I work with a lot of authors who the whole point of reading or writing the book is that it becomes a glorified business card to get those speaking gigs, you know, to get get on that TED stage and to open doors because they've written a book on the topic. And in that case, you know, a book big five maybe doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, correct, because that won't align with what one of the big five publishers wants to do. Yeah, exactly. They want to see an author who already has that wider reach. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you run the risk, even if you can get that deal with the the elusive deal with a big five publisher, you risk just being lost in in the the mass because you just don't have the reach. Mm -hmm. Now, do you help them when they're looking at those options and those paths? Is that part of what you do and answering questions, but also looking to see who's out there and who is um, maybe a specialty publisher? Yeah, very much. I mean, even for the people who have their eye on one of the bigger publishers and someone who has a good prospect of of getting that kind of deal, one of the things I do is I help by recommending which agents they should be talking to, who might be Mm. a good match for them. Um, You know, I've got a bunch of relationships with agents uh, and so I, I, you know, have my finger on the pulse of what particular people might be looking for. Uh, and also just, you know, thinking about when you're th- assessing the competition, you're looking at the books that are coming up against you. There's a, a parallel exercise that you can go through of just looking. So who's the ideal publisher? Who, who published those books that right. are similar yeah. to mine or competing with mine? Mm. It may be that my book is too much like what they've already done, but it might be that my book fills a gap that they would be very, very well placed to, to fill. So, yeah, looking at all of those things is is part of what I do with people. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, What's number six? Well, number six is kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is write the the book proposal. Yeah, okay. Uh, So you've gone through your steps, you've got your concept, you've tested it, you've looked at the competition, you've got a platform, you've chosen your path. Now you you write the book proposal. And Mm. now you're, because you've chosen your publishing path, you know whether you're even writing a book proposal or if you're writing more of what I call a book blueprint, which Mm. is kind of the same thing, but it's more of an internal document that's just for you to build your, you know, sense of of how you're going to market this book. It's like a business plan. Yeah, yeah. What is this book? Um, As opposed to the proposal, which is a persuasive document. So ultimately, I mean, do you end up working with people on a book proposal that becomes that blueprint, if you will, or that that business plan, who then independently publish and they use all of that research in order to make sure they they brand well and they have the right messaging and they are able to reach their audience? Does that happen pretty pretty often for you? Yeah, it does. I mean, very often we kind of seek from a book proposal uh, either in the process of pitching it, the author might find that this just isn't getting traction with any of the agents, uh, with the publishers. And I think that I really need to look at a different path and hybrid or self-publish. Or very, very often, just the process, that just going through the process that I've described of developing the concept, thinking about the competition, early on in those stages, the author might just say, you know what? I actually feel like I need to have more control over this and that I would be better off self-publishing. Mm. So in the process of working with me, we, we kind of step sideways and we stop working on what is really a book proposal and we flip it into a, a blueprint, a business plan that they mm. can use. So, for example, we still write the sample chapters together 
we still write the chapter outline. All of that's the same, the outline of the book, the description of the book, the cell, but we might instead of writing, you know, material intended like a query letter for a publisher, we come up with something of a self-publishing plan where I just work with them to figure out, so, you know, who are the, the resources I need? Am I going to go mm. with a hybrid publisher? So, you know, we, we flip and do all of those things instead. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of work. That's, um, that's, and the cool thing about hiring someone like you is you have your hand held the whole time. So, you know, you're not making bad choices or, you know, doing something wrong, if you will. I have a question about sample chapters. Is, is there a formula? Do you uh, create chapters in sequence? Can they kind of be all over the place in terms of getting a good sampling of the book? Yeah, um, I always used to believe in just starting from the beginning, including the first chapters, the reasoning being that if the first chapters aren't sufficiently interesting to engage an agent or an editor, uh, you've got a problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it depends a little bit on the book project. Increasingly, I, I still would typically include the first chapter, mm. um, but in some books, and I'm trying to think, particularly perhaps a prescriptive book, or a concept-driven book. So, for example, I've just worked on a book about the ethics of AI, and it was very topic-based, very thematically broken down. And so in the proposal, we chose three chapters that were each quite different and looked at different aspects of, of the ethics of, of, uh, around artificial intelligence. And, uh, yeah, just, just rather than having them sequential. So, you know, there's no hard and fast rules there's always mm. a risk that if you do that the agent will say well i want to see the first three chapters and you have to say well <laughs> i haven't written them sorry i haven't written those yeah <laughs> it seems like you should always have the first chapter written is that not true look i think so and in fact when it comes down to it i find it a little difficult to write a book out of sequence mm. um and i but i think that if someone is very intimately you know engaged with their topic and possibly they've written on it in the form of articles, then it's not so difficult for them to jump from chapter one to chapter four to chapter seven. If I'm driving the writing, I find it far easier just to write chapters one, two, and three. Hmm. Um, and yet, which leads me to the other question with, with sample chapters is how many do you need? Hmm. Um, and it depends a little on how big your chapters are. I find that most agents are looking for a maybe around 10,000 words of sample text. And that might okay. be two chapters. Yeah. It might be three. Yeah. It's yeah. usually around that. Nice. So that's a good number yeah. for people to think about. Yeah. Tell us about your process. You know, once you get into the plan, the planning part and the actual writing, is, is there a specific process that you find works well for you or is it different from client to client or book to book? Yeah, look, it does vary from client to client and from book to book. Um, most of the projects I work on, we have a little, let me see, we're starting with something of a blank canvas mm. where the author has a clear idea because of speaking, workshops, whatever, of the content they want to deliver, but they need me to... Uh, flesh it out and plan it out. So mostly the books I work on involve interviewing the author. Um, it may be that if we were doing that book on AI, for example, that we would work out what the chapter breakdown was 
and I would just ask them, you know, talk the chapter out to me. Tell me that. Tell me this chapter. Tell me everything that I, as your reader, needs to know about this chapter. And we would just spend maybe an hour talking it out. Um, they would probably have some sample articles or maybe a speech they'd delivered before or a workshop, something else on that topic for me to look at. And so I just kind of coagulate that mm. material. Um, mm. But, you know, mm. I, I like working on, on that kind of process where there are interviews involved because I, I, I love being on your side of the, the microphone, Jennifer. I love asking the questions. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not so comfortable with answering the questions. Um, well, you're so, doing great, just so oh, you know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that's how they tend to, you know, we, we do a series of interviews. But, gee, it just varies so much. Like at the moment I'm working with a couple of speakers who, uh, because of the, the time we're in, are not currently travelling. So mm. they've got extra time on their hands that they mm. are dedicating to their book project. So we've been able to do some very intensive interview, series of interviews uh, nice. where we've, we might spend August talking out the book where we do a couple of chapters a week I step away, look at the other material, pull it together. Um, but sometimes, you know, we might just spend a week talking out three chapters and that's all we need for the book proposal. So yeah. it, it varies hugely. And you're also a ghostwriter. So that's a whole nother hat that you wear that I'm sure comes in quite handy when you're working with these authors. Well, it does, because very often, you know, they, so many, many of my clients are speakers or they present workshops. So they are, they're very verbal people. They're used to delivering verbally. They don't necessarily, you know, sit so well with, with writing. I mean, if they did, they probably wouldn't necessarily need someone like me. Um, I'm the opposite. I, I love writing. Um, so, you know, it's a great combination, but it means that they speak out what it is they want to say, and I write it. So effectively, you know, with many of the book proposals I'm I'm working on, I'm effectively ghostwriting the book proposal. Mm. You know, the, the challenge, of course, for me and for everyone who writes a book proposal is knowing when to stop because mm. especially if it's something <laughs> like, you know, a, a memoir, a life story, or we're taking the opportunity to do a, the whole set of, of interviews that will become the full book, you know, you've got to stop at some point because really you're, you're just trying to get the book proposal done in this first instance. Sure, yeah. See if there's even an, an audience or a market for it. Correct. Before you yeah. read the whole book. Yeah. yeah. You know, I know you're a writer, so do, do you work on, you know, personal projects? Have you, you know, are you, are you writing a book now that has your name as author on it? No. You know, I, I started out when I, when I started writing, um, I tended to be the author. My name was on several books uh, mm. and that was how I kind of got into the, the business. But I increasingly found that I actually don't like the whole platform piece. I don't like, I remember there was <laughs> the marketing. one. <laughs> right, putting yourself out there. Oh, it's so man. fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why do people do this? Right, it's um, torture. I think that there was one, there was a turning point for me where I had mm. written a book called Parenting with Soul, which mm. I wrote when my children were very young and I myself was very desperate to find ways of just weaving a little bit of spirituality into a busy parent's day. And so I pitched this to HarperCollins as an idea and they said, yeah, go for it. So I wrote this book called Parenting with Soul. 
And when the book was launched, I lined up a series of speaking engagements to build my platform because that's what you got to do. Right. And someone introduced me to the stage by saying, and here is parenting expert Sally Collings. And I just died inside because I'm not a parenting expert. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, hold on now. Yeah. Yeah. So that it was, it just hit me like a truck, that sense that, oh, people think of me as an expert now. Well, I don't feel comfortable with that mm-hmm. because I think what I'm an expert at is, is writing books and writing book proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a subject expert. Right. And so at that point I just thought, you know what, I think I want to move further back away from the microphone and mm-hmm. just be the, the, you know, in the engine room. I want to be the, you know, back in the... I, I can't think of another analogy, but, you know, not the person at the microphone, but the person out the back helping make this happen. You're a director of sorts. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. In fact, for a little while there, I was also doing a lot of work producing books, so helping people who wanted to self-publish uh, produce the books. And I describe myself as an executive producer, which actually isn't a thing in book publishing. No, it's not, but, but I love it. I love it, yeah. <laughs> I decided to make it a thing. So I think words <laughs> like director, producer, yeah, that kind of describes you know where my comfort zone is. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a key grip kind of guy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I always love those when you look at the, the film credits rolling. It's like key grip and like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, what are, like all of these people do. Yeah. They're all important. They are. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Well, a lot goes into writing a book and supporting an author and that platform building and, you know, marketing yourself. I mean, it's, I, I often tell my clients, you know, when you're done writing the book, that's when the hard work begins. And they well, look at me like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it's takes, true, you know? it takes a team too. You know, I, mm-hmm. I often talk about the myth of the solo author that, yeah, it can be a lonely business writing a book, but very few people do it all by themselves. You know, they right. generally have someone like me helping with the book proposal mm-hmm. or they have someone helping them with their social media. And that mm-hmm. might be an intern or it could be a higher level than that. You know, they probably have beta readers looking at their their chapters That's and right. that might be their their partner it might be their best friend who's a you know grammar fiend you know it could be a whole bunch of people but you know you it know, never happens in isolation no of course and you know it's interesting i um a friend of mine i, I heard him speak several years ago lee wind he's one of the director of marketing at ibpa and he said self-publishing is a misnomer hmm. you're not supposed to do it yourself and I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so true. When you do it yourself, it's obvious, you know, and it's anything, you know, building a business of any kind. You don't want to do it all yourself. You want to get help in the areas where you don't have the strength to make it the best it can be. Right. So, of course, we need to ask for help. You know, I'm a, I think that's so true. I'm a huge fan of renovation television, especially at the moment. It's my, my guilty pleasure. And you know, you, you see <laughs> your COVID those. pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> You see those shows where, you know, a very well-meaning DIYer decides that they will take on, you know, the full renovation of their house. And it always ends with, you know, a hole in the ground or holes in the wall. Or, <laughs> or in the ceiling. Oh, or, this, yeah, this, that would this. be me. That would yeah, be me. you know, there's, there's <laughs> hammers, there's holes, there's tears. Um, there's always times when you need to call in someone. You know, someone might... Often the people I work with on book proposals, they could very easily write their own book proposal. You know, many of them are very capable 
people, often they have a marketing background, so they have a really strong sense about how to think about appeal in that in that way. Mm-hmm. And so they could take six months off off their job to do that. But it's not a valuable, it's not a good use of their time. You know, there's going to be hammers, exactly. holes and tears if they do yeah. it. Yeah. So that's the kind of why they, they tap me. So at what point, you know, if we're talking about timing, should an author plan to send in a book proposal? Do they send in a query and then have a request for a book proposal or... When does that happen? Mm, that's a great question. I, I always tell people that they have to have the full proposal ready. There's no point in sending in a query. Agent says, oh, my God, that's fantastic. I want to see it now. And they say, well, give me three months and I'll, I'll have a book <laughs> proposal to too. Yeah, right, right. Um, so it's, it's, it's a delicate thing. So n- neither do you want to have the whole, don't burden yourself with writing the whole manuscript because that's unnecessary, but also, you know, be prepared. So if someone, for example, is starting with a fairly blank slate, fairly clear, clear idea of what they want to write, but no sample chapters, I would expect that it would take us between yeah, around three months to, to write a proposal. Mm. And, you know, part of that depends on their availability. I'm often working with people who, you know, run a business and they don't have a whole lot of time, which is, again, why they're talking to me. Right, um, right, yeah. But, but you know, the when they bring me into the project it isn't a hand it off to sally and dust your hands and walk away you need to be available to you know review things to do the interviews to you know give me the material i need um so you know it can take three to six months to to come up with a a book proposal but you know yes certainly you need the book proposal ready before you approach uh agents Mm. I mean, some of the people I work with, too, have a full manuscript ready to go, like the actor I mentioned with autism. He had a full manuscript, um, but he knew he needed a a book proposal. Um, And it's funny because sometimes I will talk to agents and they'll say, don't mention you've got the full manuscript ready because publishers want to feel there's some room to manoeuvre, that they can have some creative input there. Mm. So uh, make it clear that you can come up with a manuscript quickly and promptly, but don't necessarily tell them that it's all written because, you know, they, they want a little bit of space there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. Well, Sally, this has been awesome. I, I wonder, is there anything that I've failed to ask that you think would be really important for our listeners to know about the process of book proposals and this whole world of book proposals in general? Look, I think we've covered a lot of great ground um you know I, I think if if nothing else when you think about the book proposal that you're going to send to agents and to editors you want it to not just be a competent professional document I mean you want it to be that right but you also want it to have that factor that will make an agent fall off their chair with amazement and delight that oh my god (laughs) I haven't seen anything like this because you know that they've just been bombarded with uh you know proposals and query letters from every direction and most of them are yeah fine or maybe they're not but to have something that just makes them want to stand up and call over to their colleague and say Oh my God! You've got to check this out. This is That's, the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you want you want raised voices. You want laughter. You want tears. So just do whatever you can to 
oh, hit that oh my god button. And it's so important that the voice of the author comes out loud and clear. You know, if that if that author relies on humor, we better see some humor in that proposal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for all that I'm talking about it as a commercial document, it's got to have heart and soul mm, and right, blood, yeah. blood and tears and whatever it is that's <laughs> special about you, you know, yeah. d- double it, triple it and pour it in there. And I think sometimes it's hard for authors to see what it is that's special about them. That Do they even know their voice? You know, and having someone like Sally Collins who can help pull that out and identify it, I think would be a real benefit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very often, because again, I come in as that kind of uh, ideal reader for them, the, mm-hmm. the person who knows a little bit, not too much. Often, <laughs> you know, I'm saying to them, oh my God, you, you, you do this, or you think that, or I've never heard that. And they say, oh, but you know, I've been saying that for years. It's like, well, right, I right. haven't heard it. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. I love it. <laughs> well, you make me feel like book proposals are not as scary as I I had always thought they are. Um, So thank you for that. But they're very important. And putting in that time and really thinking about all of those elements um, is such such great advice. Well, thank you. I think so. Hopefully I've (laughs) filled everyone with enthusiasm and love for (laughs) the same love for book proposals that I have. Well, I know when you said, I love book proposals, I was like, what? Okay, (laughs) let's talk about this. So I have one more question, and maybe Chad might have a, a question from you for you. But but my question is, are you the kind of reader? So I know you're you're constantly talking to authors about their books, but I know you must also read for pleasure, right? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I don't read anything that has any relation to the books that I work on, though. Okay. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> well, no, so what I. I was going to ask you, are you the kind of reader who reads one book and you're done? Or do you have five books that you're reading on it, reading at once? Oh, so I'm very aspirational. So on, on my nightstand, you know, there are, there, <laughs> are f- <laughs> there are five books. Let me tell you what's on my nightstand. Yeah, yeah, it's- we want to know. <laughs> so I, I have Brene Brown sitting there. I can't remember which one. Awesome. I have Anne Lamott. Oh, uh, I love her. Love who her. is wonderful. She just writes like an angel. I, mm-hmm. that, that, I love her writing. Um, I have a book about parenting. I think it's called The, the Self-Driven Child. Mm. Now, I've got about one chapter into all of those and yeah. I've set, set them aside <laughs> because on my Kindle, which is where I do the real reading, mm. I'm a total sucker for urban fantasy, uh, female-driven, feminist, okay. feminist nice. science fiction. Uh-huh. That's that's what I do in my spare time, which has nothing to do with personal development or self-improvement or leadership. But, gee, I love it. It's your escape. I love it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we have to have our escape books, right? We should. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'll be reading five different books. But, you know, depending on my mood or what I need to get out of it, depend, you know, that determines which book I'm going to open. And then sometimes you just can't stop reading and, you know, I'll finish a book in a day. But but I kind of like having like a window into different worlds. The urban fantasy makes a ton of sense because you're dealing with, you know, real life prescriptive memoir, you know, self-help business books. So, of course, you need an escape. Yeah. But, you know, I'm also quite a slow reader because I will sweat over word choice. I'll be looking at something. I was reading something the other day and it mentioned a reptilian armadillo. And I couldn't rest until I went and researched oh. it. An armadillo is a reptile. You can't, it, no, right. it's not reptilian. It is a reptile. Right. So, 
<laughs> you're like, well, wait a minute here. Yeah, backup That's body. That's funny. Yeah, I, so, yeah. No, now, you said you, you read more in your Kindle. So you prefer to read on Kindle as opposed to paper books. Okay, so that is because uh, I'm reading all of these urban fantasy books. Most of them have very, very cheesy covers, and I would be embarrassed <laughs> for anyone to see what the heck I'm reading. That is awesome. <laughs> you know, I never thought of that before. That's such a good point. And, you know, if you, well, now we don't leave our homes because of COVID, but, you know, if you're on the bus or, or on an airplane, one of my favorite things to do when I'm on a plane is to walk down the aisle and see what other people are reading. You know, I'm like kind of peeking over their shoulders, like, mm-hmm. what, what is that person reading? But yeah, like if you don't want people to know what you're reading, the Kindle is the perfect way to hide that that fact. Look, it's important for me. And even at the moment, <laughs> I have I have teenagers and they would they would mock me Tear mercilessly. You totally. So, you know, for my, my self-respect and my sense, in the household, such as it is, I have to read those books on the Kindle. <laughs> You're like, this is a parenting book. That's what I'm reading. Back <laughs> off. Oh, like the teenagers have any legs to stand on. <laughs> That's a good point. What are they reading? Right? Well, well they, yeah, they're what not reading. They it's reading? like, at least I'm reading a book. Come on, back <laughs> exactly. off, guys. <laughs> I'm like, are they reading? Are teenagers reading nowadays? I don't know. So it's it's been a, a source of no wonder I can't describe myself as a parenting expert because my my <laughs> older child has never liked reading, um, and this is like a thorn in my heart. Uh, my younger one used to like reading, but is now gaming is is far more interesting mm-hmm. and movies loves movies mm-hmm. big big mm-hmm. film critics so they, they get their stories in different ways you know they they have options that I didn't have when I was a kid so mm-hmm. I guess I can't blame them. See, for me, video games are the modern day high watermark of narrative storytelling. Hmm. It's yeah. true. Like, there are some video games that are just absolutely have amazing stories that go along with them. And visuals. And, and mm. the visuals, yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible yeah. what they've done. Yeah, it's a little wonder that a, you know, a, a book that is just words seems like fairly dry fare compared to, to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, though, you know, and of course, maybe it has to do with my age, but when I read a book, I can be so immersed in that world. And I can see, you know, like fantasy is a perfect example. No one is telling me what the characters look like. And that world building is, you know, part me. I develop that world in my mind based on my own experiences. So I think that's why I love reading a book so much, even more so than watching a movie or even listening to a book. Because when it's in your head and you're reading it, it's just a totally different experience. Yeah. I mean, you, you are like a filmmaker with no, no budgetary limits. I mean, you can it's make so that. True. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can cast anyone. You can mm-hmm. do any special effect in your head. So, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Chad told ah. me that I was reading The World According to Garp, right, mm-hmm. by John Irving. And Chad said, oh, yeah, Robin Williams played played him. And I was like, oh, I just ruined that book for me. Ah. For like the rest of the book, because no longer was the character mine, but it was Robin Williams. He'd hijacked my story. But so. Chad, how could you do that? <laughs> uh, you know, Rosebud's a sled. What can I say? Well, he's ah. always. A- That's what I do. Spoilers. <laughs> Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. We appreciate your time so much. And um, I hope that people will look you up if they are, in fact, getting ready to write a book proposal. Getting help matters. You don't want to do it yourself. So Sally Collins, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a total pleasure. Thank you. 
Dear listener, you can learn more about Sally Collins on her website, sallycollins.com, and also find links to follow Sally on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at thepremisepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at podpremise and subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, thanks for listening. Are you an author with a story to tell, but you're just not sure how to get that story out? Guess what? You don't have to do it alone. Marnie Friedman is an incredible writing coach. She offers personalized support and expertise to guide you from a kernel of an idea to completion. Visit MarniFriedman.com to learn more. That's M-A-R-N-I-F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N.com. This episode is brought to you by Monkey C Media, a small boutique design firm offering award-winning websites, book cover designs, book trailers, and photography services. And full disclosure, we love what we do. Chad and I founded Monkey C Media in 2004, and we're still going strong. Visit monkeycmedia.com. That's M-O-N-K-E-Y, the letter C, media.com to see how we can help you promote your book, build a powerful online presence. Mm-hmm. What else you got, Chad? Uh, let's see. We've got the San Diego Writer Festival. San Diego Writers Festival. There are many writers. (laughs) And they're a proud sponsor of our Premise podcast as well.